one element, um, I think that's something that, that, that we've been navigating so much as an organization, and I feel like I've just been thinking about it for, for many years, is our relationship to classical music and so to Western European art music and this idea of it being um, like our idea of the power of this music, the amazing qualities of this music, and just how great it is, you know, and that everybody needs it, you know. And I think that there's a way for us to just engage really deeply with our like belief in uh, the power of music, our love for music and supporting and sharing that, you know, um, without uh, purporting it as something that is a need, even if it's a need for us to engage with it. Um, and so and so I think that that's that's an element that I would just share is like, how are we coming to these spaces with recognizing that? The communities, many of the communities that we're engaging with, let's say if we're talking about like black and brown communities um, and divested communities, let's, and then I'm putting those not together, but we know that there's a lot of uh, interconnectivity between those two things because of the racial conditionings around uh, class and uh, positioning in our country, in this country in particular. Um, but how are we coming into these spaces, uh, in these community, into these communities without this idea that they need Western European art music and that they need us? Uh, because they don't need either. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ben Capelo, and welcome to All Keyed Up, Creative Conversations for Today's Piano Teachers. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I will be speaking with Ashley Lauren Frith. Ashley Lauren Frith is a violist, songwriter, educator, and currently the Director of Racial Equity and Belonging at Community Music Works in Providence, Rhode Island. Focusing on care partnerships, her anti-racism work particularly addresses how racism affects our individual and collective interiority, with an emphasis on how we can enter this work through the practice of care. Ashley was the music director, composer, and lyricist for the Trinity Repertory Company's 2018-2019 to season production of Jose Rivera's Marisol, directed by Brian Mertis. She is currently composing music for a production with Off the Page Education in New York City on Allyship. Ashley also explores the use of sound as a healing modality in combination with mindfulness practices and the effect these tools can have on mental health. Ashley, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Today, we're going to be mainly focusing on your work and thoughts on anti-racism. However, this does not fully give everyone a picture of everything you do. You are also successful as a composer and songwriter, as well as as an activist. And some of the bio I read alluded to that. Can you talk a little bit about your work in writing music? Yeah. Um, so I, it's interesting. I feel like the anti-racism work that I've been doing um, for the last several years sort of uh, has is very related to um, the work that I get okay. to to create as a, as a um, as a composer and the songs that I get to write, um, including getting to work on music for plays, um, which I really appreciate. And um, so I guess it just feels like uh, just another continuation. It's another point of getting to mm -hmm. like um, just sort of work through my own liberatory practice. It feels like of just getting to like create and make music that. Um, that is resonating with whatever is coming up with me uh, in any given moment. Um, yeah, yeah. And doing and during COVID, you know, obviously this past year, it's everything has been very different um, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And um, I I'm currently making some music for this uh, play that's actually all, also on the radio um, 
with Wilbury Theater, which is another group in another theater um, company in Rhode Island. Uh, that's uh, sort of like a play. It's like 13 episodes um, called God Talks with an Agnostic. And um, so it's interesting to even have, like everything is sort of shifting and changing and kind of going with uh, the different opportunities that are coming up that are would not probably not have happened if we were not in a pandemic. So, uh, hmm. yeah. So I guess you write a lot of like incidental music when you say you're writing music for plays. Not You, you don't mean like musicals, I assume, right? Yes. Yeah, um, okay. I guess incidental. Yeah, I guess that's that's definitely more of a, a, a an accurate um, description. And I feel like for the, for the play that I did with Trinity Rep um, Repertory uh, Company, it was sort of uh, uh, very like an expansion of the script in a lot of ways, which was really interesting. It was like an opportunity to sort of like add some inner dialogue with the the characters, um, and which felt like a yeah. like a big responsibility. Um, but also really uh, an awesome experience to just sort of really find like what is the sounds of these moments, you know, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, so I, I, I appreciated that. And I'm getting to do that again um, now uh, with, a, with a couple of different projects. So appreciating that. That's great. Well, I'm a little bit jealous. I mean, as a composer myself, I've only done that once writing incidental music for a play and it was great and I would love to do it again. Um, so that's great that you are getting all these opportunities. Um, so before we get into kind of more of the details of your anti-racism work, I do want to talk just big picture about the concept before we apply it to music specifically. So in um, the 0.1% green dragon resource that you created for community music works, you write, quote, we are 99.9% .9 genetically identical. The 0.1% refers to the amount in which our biological genomes are different and what these offerings focus on, end quote. So there will be some people out there who would read something like that, and that would become a very quick, slippery slope to colorblindness. And they would say something like, well, if we're 99.9% .9 identical, why do we even need to care about race? You know, there's only one race, the human race, and there's all of those types of sayings. Many of the resources that your organization shares have discussed some of the shortcomings of this colorblind way of thinking. Can you talk about your issues with approaching teaching from that angle? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'll just say that even starting from this this sort of scientific understanding of uh, um, our biological makeup, I feel like personally it's um, it just sort of is a particular perspective that I feel like is 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 mm. is helpful to just sort of recognize that it's actually the system that we are part of that has like highlighted and expanded and has dedicated so much time and energy and effort to focus <laughs> so acutely on this 0.1% um, that that makes us that makes us uh, unique to to ourselves and to and culturally and um, and racially and so so I think that there's there's something even in that where it's just sort of like instead of thinking around uh, okay that means that we're all the same you know it's like we're almost all the same or something like that it's really just mm -hmm. saying that it's just the system <laughs> that we're in that is just and that is just really like so hyper focused on this and really hard and, and it creates so much harm and because of that because of the system that we are so deeply entrenched in um we actually have a responsibility to really focus in on that um in the ways to undo uh that those em that emphasis because we can't bypass it you know that's colorblindness is kind of bypassing it right it's like being like oh okay mm. don't worry about it you know it's like we're not seeing it right. we don't see anything it doesn't exist um, 
And so we're not doing that because obviously that's that's there's there's more harm caused in just ignoring what's what's here, what's present. But it's just like, yeah, can we just like just acknowledge it's such a small part of us and but if there's so much here in our identities and let's just right. do our best to just really try to bring a fullness and I think that's a fullness from ourselves, you know, as a practice and 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 allowing and supporting and encouraging just a fullness in others in our like uh, ways and um, of being in space with, with each other. Yeah, I love that word you use, fullness. And I do think that as teachers, that's part of our goal is to embrace the fullness of our students. And why would we want to be blind to anything, even if it's 0.1%? Um, now, the opposite, in, in some ways, you could say of colorblind teaching would be to run the other direction and kind of pander and put your students kind of in boxes based on race. I've watched a few episodes of this show called Insecure by Issa Rae, and there was one scene I saw that um, it basically it was a show where it's about a predominantly black school, but the faculty is predominantly white, except for one token teacher of color. And in one scene, they were talking about what activities they could do with these students. And all of the white faculty members were suggesting these blatantly race related that one of them was like, let's take them to an African American museum. And another was like, let's do hip hop Shakespeare. And another one was like, let's do a drum circle. And you could see that that the black faculty member was very off put. So can you talk about some of the risks of in some ways running in the opposite direction of color blindness and stereotyping students based on race and talk about how we can find a middle ground between not putting students in boxes, but also not being colorblind? Yeah. Absolutely. I'll just say that I also love uh, Insecure. <laughs> I love that show so much. Oh, yeah. Much. I've only seen the first it's, five episodes. It's just <laughs> a really amazing show. Um, and I would say that um, that, that I, think, I think, honestly, the only way that we can overcorrect is when we're just trying to get something right, when we're trying to get it right. Hmm. And I think it's really just like, again, it comes back to this practice of just seeing each other, you know, and and if we're and if and this fullness piece, you know, I think I think it's so there's so much in that, because actually, if we're allowing a fullness, you know, like supporting, I should say more than allowing, you know, it's allowing in ourselves and just supporting a fullness in the space with everyone in the space, especially our students, then it becomes really clear what they're interested in. And and it becomes really clear in dialogue and um, through like lots of discussion about what would be the best and awesome and most uh, like amazing field trip or experience or piece that we want to play because we're just talking about it. You know, we're talking about what is um, fueling them, you know, and what's getting them excited. And, you know, and we're not just like making assumptions about lanes, you know, and genres of music mm -hmm. that they listen to or like, oh, you're black. So you right. like all black things, you know, or like, <laughs> you know, like and we're none of us. And I don't think any of it's intentional, you know, even when we're trying to our best intentions to like connect and you know, make yeah. others feel comfortable. But I think it's like, sometimes it's like, there's a tightness around that, you know, and it's around yeah. like this thing yeah. about trying to get it, trying to get it right. And actually mm -hmm. I think it's really, again, it's moving through that to like just being present as possible, as present as we can. Yeah. And, um, and there's, and I think there's like so much information when we're, when we're, when we're being present with each other, you know, we learn so much, including about ourselves, you know, right. Like I, and I think, right. And I think I'll just say, you know, as an, I think that's the biggest element I feel like for myself is the more full and present that I am in any given space, I'm encouraging that and supporting that and, um, and making room and oddly for other students, for my students to also feel that they feel a comfort, I think, 
from my own practice of showing up fully. And I think when we're doing the opposite, where we're like, oh, maybe I'll like hide this or I like, keep this to myself, right? Don't bring this into my my mm-hmm. teaching space or something. Then that that's actually that energy. I think we're we're teaching that that energy. Mm. And so so I think that that's a big piece of it too. I, that's something that I think about all the time. It's like, am I being fully here? You know, it's like my presence is here, my identities are here. Like I'm just really just trying to show up and and being like a mirror for for all of the wonderful young people that I get to work with. Yeah. I totally resonate with what you're saying about how embracing the fullness of our students goes hand in hand with being fully present with our students. And I think some of like putting students in boxes although it avoids some of the pitfalls of colorblindness, is not being fully present, as you say. It's not taking what the students are giving you and reacting in real time. Um, so I really like this point you're bringing out about being not just fullness, but present. I think that's a really important combination for teachers to be thinking about. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about now how some of this might apply specifically to music, since this is a podcast for other piano and music teachers. You currently work as the Director of Racial Equity and Belonging at Community Music Works in Providence, Rhode Island. I looked through their website a bit, and this is an organization that's clearly committed to anti-racism. Their website goes through a lot of different programs they offer, like a weekly summer intensive with many anti-oppression workshops and um, I, can you talk about your role at Community Music Works and talk about what they're doing that you feel is getting it right in terms of anti-racism and maybe if there's anything that uh, Community Music Works is doing that some of our listeners could consider doing with their schools? Yeah, so um, my role currently, um, I think if I just put it very generally, is to support um, our progression our, um, our of on like this sort of anti-racism journey and um, and I think that's, um, I get to do that uh, in a lot of ways, and that's like in every area of the organization, most specifically with um, staff, and we're sort of focusing on areas around our pedagogy, and we focus around, um, about on performance, and we think about um, our relationship to being a nonprofit organization in this nonprofit industrial complex, and how we're engaging with donorship and grants, and all these sort of really like uh, deeply like um embedded in white supremacist supremacy like practices of uh capitalism you know and so we're just like um there's lots of i support a lot of reflecting and uh resource um uh offering and um and i facilitate a lot of conversations we have weekly conversations on those uh point one percent green dragon uh email resource emails that i share every week mm-hmm. And, um, and we have bi-monthly um, seminars uh, that I facilitate. And sometimes we have guests that come in that get to have like a deep dive on these um, areas that will continue to need to be talking about for, um, for, I, for as long as we're doing this work, probably. Um, and so, so, that's, so that's just a little bit of a, a general idea. And, and, and I think maybe the thing about, maybe if we say, if we think about this thing about getting it right, is that we're really tr- uh, there's an attempt to focus on every aspect of the work that we're doing, and I think that that sometimes gets missed. Um, sometimes it's like, oh, okay, we got to focus on this area, or we just need to focus on our in student engagement, or we just need to do this. And it's really just yeah. a, it's just all of it, you know. It's all of it. Yeah, it goes back to the fullness point that you mentioned. Absolutely, absolutely, it's the same thing. So it's like really um, navigating, and and it's hard, you know, because sometimes we don't want to talk about like, you know. These these issues in every area because it's there's just really long conversations that are ongoing, 
Um, and, uh, and, but we need to have them. We need to have them. So, so that's, so that's a big part of my work. And I, I think that that's a really, uh, it's a really useful tool is just recognizing that it's, it's just in every, in every layer. Um, and I think, uh, that also includes in our interpersonal relationships, which is a huge thing that I, uh, try to focus on, which comes back to this, this presence piece, which is that not only is the work personal, it's always personal where, you know, it's always about our, how we're showing up and how we're receiving and perceiving, uh, um, uh, everything around us. Um, but it's also now, you know, it's like, so that includes like in these conversations and in these, uh, in our teaching spaces and, and when we're choosing repertoire, it's like how, what's coming up in this moment. Right. And it's like, so of course, sometimes there's, it's really easy to be like, oh, we want like, uh, um, a list of, uh, you know, a checklist or something like that. Or we want like mm-hmm. the anecdotes, you know, to like the solutions of anti to, to be, to not be racist, you know? And it's actually, I, I think really, it just comes back to, um, really recognizing what's coming up in the moment, because I think that's where all the information mm-hmm. is. That's where it's right. all is, you know? And then, and even when we see our, and feel really in our bodies, our resistances to a certain suggestion or, are clinging to a particular composer when we recognize and really take in their um, deep-seated racist history, which is many of them, <laughs> given the the history yeah. and state um, of Western Europe, um, you know, particularly in 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 the 17th, 18th, 19th century. You know, it's like it's like deep and broad. You know, mm-hmm. so um, so, anyways, just like I think there's that's to me is like the really the thing that we're really going for. And it's challenging and we have missteps, but I think that's something that we're doing really well. And it's like, and it's, and it's, and it's daily. It's daily. Uh, um, also, you know, it's not something that we're just dipping in and then stepping out of for several weeks. It's like daily and weekly and monthly, um, which is, which feels necessary. Yeah. Oh, you brought up so many things there that I want to talk about. Um, There's so much good stuff there. Uh, I'm interested in earlier in what you just said, you were talking about how there can be some ethical concerns around the financial aspect of uh, the work that nonprofits do and working within a capitalist system. Um, and how does that affect grants and donors and sustaining a business? I would be interested in your thoughts on that. And also another topic on, related to money that I, I'd love your opinions on is sort of scholarships and outreach programs, which I believe is what most nonprofit music schools, like their main way of trying to be anti-racist is through these scholarships and outreach programs. Um, can you talk a little bit about the financial aspect of running a nonprofit? Yeah, so I'll say I'll say a little bit, and also just be really honest to say that this is an area that I'm constantly learning a lot about. This is okay. sort of an area that I um, is have been less involved in. I've been working in many nonprofits for like the last decade or so, and um, the financial area is uh, is newer in the last few years, where I'm like actually learning the ins and outs and the history around um, mm-hmm. the structure that is so popular now. Um, uh, and so I'll just say that I think, um, there's the learning the history to start with, um, not dissimilar from our musical history and the importance of that, uh, is, uh, like, and like all the holes that get left in there, um, feels like a really important thing, you know, of like, okay, where does the structure come from, you know, and recognizing how it was, um, what, what's, what it sort of came out of. And 
a lot of it came out of a lot of like sort of there's like a lot of religious history that's tied to nonprofits. Uh, this structure that we know of oh, today. Can, can you, sorry to interrupt you, can you yeah. expand on what you, uh, the religious? So just a little bit around um, this creation of, of uh, again, filling holes in, in areas that um, weren't being supported by, by governments. And there was some religious, I think, um, Catholic, uh, uh, some Catholic organizations, but Christian organizations that were started and founded to sort of just fill in some holes that were not being uh, um, so the communities were not being supported by the government in the way that they um, should have been um, or could have been. And so um, so that's a big element. It's sort of like these uh, programs, these organizations being created, coming out of church, church systems uh, to support um, social need. Uh, and, and then later, you know, um, over time, uh, this sort of model was adopted uh, for many other types of organizations. And there's like a lot of there's so many nonprofits. There's, med, there's hospitals that are nonprofits, and and um, and it's not just music. We're so many arts organizations, and right, like there's so many nonprofits now, and uh, that are we can say necessary, or you know, if we think of art as necessary, there's there's um, so many layers to that. But it comes from um, this idea of a social filling in of um, from a lack, you know, uh, from this this government structure, this capitalist structure, government structure that we. That is our country, you know, and of course has expanded uh, capitalism and the nonprofit industrial complex, even though it it looks differently in in other countries, Mm -hmm. has expanded uh, around the world. Um, So, yeah, I'll say so I'll just say say that if that if that's I'll leave it there for now and just sort of pivot a little bit to this um, this uh, concept of scholarship and outreach, um, which is just to say that uh, I think. I, I personally think a, a big element uh, is is around um, this idea uh, uh, like that uh, is coming up with our what we, how we're showing up into this this work that we do you know and um, you know we we as human beings you know as and especially as as Western human beings like we can tend to come into spaces with a lot of expectations and ideas and assumptions um, and I think that's that there's like a lot of humanness to that. And I and I really feel like there's just a real like a like a big part of our practice and maybe the most challenging part is to really drop as much of that as we can. But also before we drop it, we have to even recognize what we're coming into the space the spaces with to to the, our work with. What are we coming in with? And so one element um, I think that's something that 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 we've been navigating so much as an organization, and I feel like I've just been thinking about it for for many years is our relationship to classical music and to, to Western European art music and this idea of it being um, like our idea of the power of this music, the amazing qualities of this music and just how great it is, you know, and that everybody needs it, yeah. you know. And I think that there's a way for us to just engage really deeply with our like belief in uh, the power of music, our love for music and supporting and sharing that, you know, um, without uh, purporting it as something that is a need, even if it's a need for us hmm. to engage with it. Yeah. Um, and so, and so, I think that that's that's an element that I would just share is like, how are we coming to these spaces with recognizing that the communities, many of the communities that we're engaging with, let's say if we're talking about like black and brown communities um, and divested communities, let's and then I'm putting those not together, but we know that there's a lot of uh, interconnectivity between those two things because of the racial c- conditionings around. Uh, class and uh, positioning in our country, in this country in particular. Um, but 
how are we coming into these spaces, uh, in these community, into these communities without this idea that they need Western European art music and that they need us? Uh, because they don't need either. <laughs> and if we can just really, like, just, just start with that, you know, and from there, and recognizing that all of these communities that we're engaging with, no matter um, how, uh, like, divested and unsupported by the, the systems and the government structures around them, um, have a fullness of and practice of expression and artistic um, uh, style and creation and creativity and um, have uh, have are supporting each other and themselves in some really beautiful and powerful ways. And I think that there's a lot of work to be done for us uh, in this nonprofit sector or even uh, as classical musicians to like really figure out how are we playing, engaging and communicating and dancing and like uh, learning you know, um, really about, again, about the fullness of our communities that we're engaging with. And that, I think that is, creates like such a, there's a, such, so much more um, strength and, and connection, you know, when, when it's not like, oh, we're doing this thing over here that's really important, you know, and you really need to get in on this. But it's actually like, well, we got this thing to offer and it's supported our lives in this way and we're going to share this. And let's like really take in and learn and discover how it relates and connects and doesn't connect and doesn't work in some ways because of its histories to the communities that we're engaged, um, engaging with. I completely feel that point about how you can love classical music and that's fine, but don't assume that that's because what you like, that that's what your students want or need, especially if you're working with students from a different cultural background as you. Ultimately, I think it goes to your point about being present and not coming to students with preconceived notions. Yeah. Now, I'd like to turn to discussing anti-racism in the context of one-on-one -on -one lessons and bring up repertoire, which you mentioned earlier. In the piano teaching world, one of the big areas in which race comes up is repertoire selection. There is, of course, the famous method books and classical pieces, almost all of which were written by white people, usually white men. Then there's arrangements of folk or traditional songs that have problematic histories. Then there are songs or pieces by black artists arranged for easy piano, and usually the arrangements are by white people. Then there's a few works like The Entertainer, which are, of course, composed by people of color and are very popular, but can sometimes run the risk of being used in a tokenizing way if done in poor taste. And then there's pieces and method books of music written in traditionally black styles, like funk or jazz, but again with white composers. It can be complicated to know what to make of all this music. Do you have any advice or thoughts uh, for piano teachers navigating the repertoire they choose for their students? Yeah, um, I think that I feel like one like main element that I would say with this and it's something that um, you know I feel like it's just like a topic that we're that's talking being talked about a lot now and uh, it's a little late <laughs> like most of this conversation yeah. is like okay well, yeah, I was gonna say like everything else yeah <laughs> it's all so late uh, but they're ha the conversations are happening Um and um, I feel like one element, which uh, which I think there's a, there's another thread here that I'll that I'll connect to, but it's just like there's an, maybe an idea of just like really kind of really quickly finding a solution to something. It's like oh, we're playing, we're teaching and performing like way too much music by these white male composers. Oh, we just realized maybe, <laughs> and maybe some of us didn't. But and then it's like oh, okay, let's just just get some new pieces in here, and you know, and just like replace or something, you know, immediately. And I feel like actually, um, if we uh, actually ever, we would never think to do that. I don't, I don't feel with um, 
our uh, classical repertoire. We would never think to just pick up a, p- a piece of classical repertoire and just like throw it in to um, a pedagogical practice or like just pick it up and not deeply study it and learn its history and um, practice it and you know, like all these, the and and do lots of listening, maybe to the composer, um, and maybe for and and what we've been doing for decades, most of us with this music, it's like it's there's so, it's so um, there's so much layers to our way of learning and being with our beingness with these pieces and this rep, and I feel like it's actually we need to really recognize that there's actually no way I don't I don't feel very challenging to engage in not a token and surface level way with any other type of music if it doesn't have the same deep relationship to our several um our very lengthy practice that we've had with with western european art music most of us and so and then and so that means time that means space and time and breathing room and it means study and research and it means maybe some movement but it means like how is this music living in our being and i don't feel like we can actually really teach it if we don't have this personal relationship to it, because we would never think to teach that mu- to teach music that we didn't have a personal relationship with, you know, like as as classical composers, uh, classical musicians, you know, like we would never think of that. And so I feel like that's actually um, a big part of it is like if we're not familiar with something, we can't skip the steps because and we wouldn't we wouldn't do that, you know, with this music that we hold so dear. So it's just really putting the work in, I think. Um, and recognizing that it might be a while, you know, before we change our repertoire, because we have to find the pieces that are working for, that are living with us, that we also love to teach, that we can engage with, because that feels really important, and pieces that are resonating with our students. And maybe that's even a collaborative effort, you know, in some ways, of when, when the learning and the listening and the honesty around our lack of knowing can happen with the students, you know, um, if we say, let's learn about this, let's talk about this, let's have a dance party on Zoom to this, you know, and mm-hmm. like, you know, like, I think it's, it's really, there's some transparency there, too, that feels really useful and helpful, um, uh, always, because um, it's, because it, with this model that we have uh, as, as classical musicians, it's so much about, like, what we know, and, you know, like, in so many yeah. ways, right, like, showing up. With like, okay, I'm ready. You know, I know my score. I know my music. I know my part. I'm here. You know, like the teacher is like the knowledgeable one. And it's actually like, that's a part of the system of supremacy a bit where we can think about this quality of like making mistakes and being vulnerable and being transparent about our process and how much learning there is in that, you know, for everyone involved. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's a need for, as you say, transparency. And also, I think what you're alluding to a lot is humility, is being honest about our biases and how that affects how we choose repertoire for our students. Absolutely. And maybe that means right now, all I know is classical music. So admit that and do the work to learn about new repertoire. I did want to throw out one name of someone who perhaps our listeners could look into whose work I really respect. Uh, Leah Claiborne at the University of the District of Columbia has done a lot of work on compiling, editing, recording piano music by Black composers, including pedagogical works. Um, So she has gotten the ball rolling in a way that I think is very helpful. Before uh, we go, do you have any other thoughts you'd like to give about teaching or anti-racism in teaching or your career? Um, I guess I'll just end with, I know I feel like I've been a little bit of a broken record because I I really feel like this work uh, is a lot, it's not easy, 
but I think it's a little more simple than 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 um than we can feel it is in moments sometimes some of us and so I'll just say that just again to repeat you know that all of this you know as we're talking about um our performative pra- our performance practice we're talking about our pedagogical practice and and uh our practice within organizations you know and outreach and scholarship I think it's it really just all comes back to deep self-reflection in all areas yeah um and just like a like a really um vulnerable uh and honest um like approach and like willingness to like witness and engage with the harmful conditions that um that have indoctrinated our beings you know and like at every level and i feel like the deeper that we uh, like allow ourselves and like support ourselves in getting and support our communities our you know our friends and our loved ones and our colleagues to get then everything is clearer to me you know when i feel like there are like actually less questions when when it's just realizing that there are actually no there's no formula for any of this because we are in the system that is is not uh is not working for anyone you know for the most privileged the people in the most power there is there is so much uh damage that's being done by the conditionings of this the conditions of these systems that we are in uh and so if we can just recognize that and feel that it's not about allyship it's not about like doing the right thing it's like the fact that we are all harmed by these systems every single one of us some more obviously some of us definitely more deeply than others but it's harming all of us it's not sustainable and so if we can just really like feel that and really feel that this work is just deep and personal and do the personal work and do that that's that's what our students um i feel like that's what they need from us they just need us to work on ourselves and uh yeah. and be honest with ourselves when we're doing that work and not bypass the areas that are the most challenging because those most challenging areas are the ones that we need to be doing <laughs> right like it's yeah. like like we know that when we're practicing our instruments it's like avoiding the hardest passage and then we come back we're like oh damn <laughs> like i really need to work on this passage you know and it's like so if we can really just like start with those the most the passages the passages that we cannot play <laughs> that we can't get through and like just start there and like i love that analogy <laughs> you know it's it's i feel like we we as 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 artists and as musicians you know like we have so many tools you know for engaging with challenging material and i think we just got to just just make those connections and use that support because i think that that's really what's going to support us and make all of this work sustainable and um and full is is just really like thinking about yeah how do i engage with my instrument you know um and uh in and and how do how do i how would i engage with uh a relationship you know a a relationship that i wanted that i was invested in because these are also just about it's also about relationships um in so many ways so so i guess yeah. that was kind of long but i'll just say that i'll just say that yeah no i mean i i agree that it's definitely a hard long process but i think all of us can be thankful as teachers that we have people like you who are out there doing the hard work to help make it a little bit easier um finally before we go can you give our listeners a sense of what you're up to now and how everyone can learn more about you yeah um i let's see this question i i'm always sort of funny with i i think right now i'm i'm super i'm doing just a lot of stuff with community music works um and i'm also doing uh some some work uh as a collaborator with um with uh with uh youth orchestra of uh, of la and um which i'm really uh excited about um just getting to continue to sort of expand and and learn 
with different colleagues. And I guess, um, so at the, at the moment, I'm kind of just like, just really focused on that. I have a, a grief process that I um, began working on last summer that is um, returning uh, and, and a, a very improvisatory based um, process around uh, just um, grieving through sound uh, with an audience. And so I guess mostly right now you can really find me on the Community Music Works website, communitymusicworks.org. And a lot of stuff I'm doing is there. And I'll have some other things uh, coming out that will be um, connected um, uh, eventually. I have an Instagram, Stashley Lauren Frith, and um, that I'm trying to get better at posting things on. Um, and uh, yeah, and you can always just email me with questions. I, I'm a little funny that way. I'm not so great with putting stuff online. But if you ever have any thoughts or questions, and if you ever want to be on the weekly, get the re weekly resource emails, um, uh, you can just email me uh, at a... Frith, F-R-I-C-H, um, at communitymusicworks.org, and I'm happy to sort of add you to that, um, the, to get, actually add you to that listserv so you can get those emails, and um, and there's some other resources that I'm sharing every week, uh, and it's connected to music and to nonprofits and to the arts um, uh, um, specifically, so yeah. Oh, well, that's so nice of you to make that offer. I'm sure many of our listeners will really appreciate that, and I'm definitely going to take you up on that, too. I'm so inspired by and so appreciate all of the work you do, and I'm really grateful to you for joining today. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you so much for, for having me. Yeah, happy to be here. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to All Keyed Up. I'll see you next time. <laughs>